0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusaya of the Vivified Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. And the title of the teaching today is Sold Out. Sold Out, and that is spelled with an S-O-U-L-E-D. Intentionally, so no, I, I studied English, so I did not misspell it, I promise you. But it's sold out, and I'm going to tell you what that means. You see, I want to start by saying this I'm going to segment this teaching in three parts. In three parts, the first part is this God wants all of you, and I'm not saying all of you listening to me, I mean the entirety. Of you God wants all of you unrestricted unhindered unreserved God wants every part of you he wants your heart he wants your mind he wants your soul like I said last time I mean the same thing he wants all of you everything that makes you you your finances he wants all of you he wants your career he wants your devotion he wants your passions He wants everything, your strengths, your weaknesses. He wants all of you. But this is what I want to help you do, right? Many of you, and let me just say this this way. When the Lord told um, us to start this work and plant this church, the instruction that came along with it, and I'll share this one, I can share this one now, is this, train these people not just as students but as ministers that was the instruction god gave us that everyone who will come in contact with us we're not just raising you to be well-rounded believers so that we can be happy good lucky people and just say yay kumbaya and we're happy it's so that you are prepared for every good work i want to read a scripture i did not plan to read this but i think the lord wants us to see something ephesians chapter 4 very popular text. We're going to go to verse verse 11. Are you there? Ephesians 4.11. Let's go quickly. Very quickly. Ephesians 4.11. Are you there? Yes. Beautiful. All right. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ... Let me read from the NKJV. Yeah. And he himself gave some to be apostles, the gifts that Christ gave to the church, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. For what? For the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What Paul is saying here is that God gave gifts to the church in form of people. And the work of any minister of the gospel is to raise other ministers. To prepare the saints for the work of ministry. And it's such a beautiful cycle. If you're going to have a generation of apostles, prophets, teachers, think about it. They do the work of ministry. They preach. They plant churches. They teach the word of God. They evangelize. They prophesy. What do you think is a, is a succession plan for that? It's to raise other people that can do exactly what they're doing. So, the, the work of ministry gifts is to raise other ministry gifts. The work of, of the, these people, the fivefold ministry, is to raise other ministers. And that's the work we've been called to do. <laughs> News flash, this is what I'm trying to say. If you didn't get it all this well, this is where I was getting to. You cannot escape this thing called ministry. (laughs) You cannot. I am sorry, and I'm happy for you at the same time. You cannot escape it. This is the work we've been called to do, to make you a minister. To make of you competent people, sound in doctrine, exemplary in character, full of love, faith, hope, to just make you the person that Jesus wants you to be. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, till we are aligned in our doctrine, till we all believe and say the same things concerning the knowledge of the Son of God, and we grow in the measure of Christ. He is the standard. That is church. That is the work we've been called to do. But like I said, God wants all of you. He wants your entirety in it. I want to help you settle into that idea that ministry can be done. If I'm not just that, I want you to start to covet it. If I d- demystify what ministry is at the very core, it's, it's service. Ministry is service. That's what it means. To serve, to put yourself. On a lower pedestal than the next person, and esteem them higher than you, and say, "I will help meet your needs at this time, every time, whether material or spiritual." Ministry. I will help your growth, your edification, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Ministry. And the good thing I love about ministry, and something I had to learn early when. I was afraid of doing ministry, and this is a very vulnerable thing to say, I was actually very afraid to do ministry. I ran away from it for the longest time, um, and it was in two different ways, maybe three actually. Number one, I had chronic stage fright, right? I battled it for a very long time. Do I still have it? No, I think I'm free. I'm actually free. <laughs> but I battled it for a long time. I was like, I cannot, I cannot do this. I don't think so. Like, God will rather use someone who is an orator, someone who is in debating society, for example, someone who already knows how to talk. Those talkatives in class, you will use them. And those are the people God wants. <laughs> and then I remember that was a talkative in class. So I was like, eh, maybe. And the story of Moses inspired me, that a stammerer, God could use the guy. The second part was, my dad is a pastor. My dad is a pastor. I'm a third-generation pastor, I think. I'm not sure if my grandpa was a pastor. Was he a pastor? He was an elder. I'm not sure he was a pastor. Okay, That's just a second-generation pastor. And I saw how, when it comes to building projects in the church, my dad will often be the one to put the, the, the most percentage of the money down. I'm like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the one putting 80% of the money towards a project. And everybody else just, I don't want to be that guy. And it seems like that's the pastor's work, so no. <laughs> And the third part is I was not perfect. I still am not. But even back then, I struggled in my consistency in righteousness. So like how would God use someone like me struggling with this thing, coming out the next Sunday to preach against the exact same thing? Like how would God use someone like that? These were the struggles of my mind. But God helped me by his grace settle into the idea that I could do ministry. And it's not about anything I thought ministry was. It wasn't about how much money I had or how much experience I got, or how eloquent I was. It is God. It is God who makes the minister. Are you following me? Let me read a scripture to you. Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11 from verse 28 to 30. I'm going to read the NLT so that it's easier for you to understand. I'm getting somewhere with this. Matthew 11 from verse thirty. 28 to 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will do what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. If you are thinking scrambled eggs, you are wrong. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. It's almost a contradiction. Seems like a paradox. How can you tell people carrying heavy loads, who are tired, who are heavy laden, and you say, come, come, let me give you rest. And how do I do that? By giving you my own burdens. It sounds ironic, but there's a message here. He's saying, look, at the end of the day, and it's almost the language that Paul gives when he's talking in Romans chapter 8. He says, we are debtors, but what? Not to the flesh. Have you seen that scripture? Mm -hmm. Romans 8. He says, we are debtors, but not to the flesh. We are slaves, but not to what? Sin. We are slaves of what? Righteousness. We are debtors to what? The Spirit. He uses that language to say, look, at the end of the day, we humans are debtors, we are slaves, we are worshippers. But then the object of what we worship, the object of what we are enslaved to, is what makes all the difference. So here he's saying, look, forget what you think that, look, there's no burden to carry, or there's no yoke to bear. There will be. But he's saying, the one that I will give you, is easy. The burden is light. You will love it. (laughs) That's what he's saying. That's how you find rest. There is rest in carrying the burdens of Jesus. Does that make sense to you? There is true rest, true Sabbath, in carrying the burdens, the passions of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you are not exempt from the work, from the burdens. You will carry them, but he's saying you will be able to carry you're able to carry things before they wore you down. You, you were stressed mentally, your anxiety rose to the roof. He's saying those burdens were not yours to carry. They are better burdens. I will give you better things, things of eternal worth, and you will carry them well. Because I will help you. It's a burden that is not something I will put on your shoulders, and then you do like how many of you have watched The Pilgrim's Progress? And that guy with the big bag on his shoulder, he's dragging it. Dragging it, it's one of partnership. It's, a, it's one where you carry the burden alongside the, the helper, the, the, the one who was sent to help you on this journey, the Holy Spirit. But for that to happen, for you to take up your cross, God wants all of you. He doesn't want you to restrict and hide some parts of you from Him. He wants every part of you. He wants you the God of the universe who created the stars and the galaxies, billions of them, wants you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 15. I love this scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And then after that, we'll read Galatians 2.20. 2 20. Second Corinthians 5, verse 15. It says this, And he died for all. Who died for all? Our Lord Jesus Christ. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's a simple principle. It's, It's a legal term, a legal principle. If someone paid your debt, you owe him everything. If someone paid so that you will live, that life that you live, you owe it to that person automatically. And he's saying the same principle applies here. If Jesus truly died for you, that you may have life and life in abundance, you owe him your life. And you cannot live your life as if you are in control of your life. What God is saying is he doesn't want control freaks of believers. He wants surrendered people. He wants people who could yield themselves and say, God, all of me, take everything. Let nothing I have be mine It's all yours. And he deserves the credits. You did not put yourself here. You did not create yourself. You did not give yourself the things that you now enjoy. Everything is from God. And now this life you live, this life called eternal life, this life called the life of righteousness, the life in the spirit, he gave it to you. And he says all he's asking is to return it back. You know, when we use that language, you know, when someone comes to the faith and we say, give your life to Christ. We're we not saying it, and I, I don't understand why people would use that terminology. We've corrected this many times. The true thing to say, the right thing to say is, you receive the life of Christ when you become saved. Right? You, the Bible says you are dead in your trespasses, in your sins. You had no life to give, nothing to offer. And so God died in Jesus Christ and gave you life so you received life, right? Yeah. But now as a response to the life that, that, and the love of God, that God loved you first, the expectation is what? You love him back with your very life. So when he says give your life to Christ, it is the response of the one who has received life in the first place. Mm-hmm. Am I communicating? Yes, sir. That is your life. That is the expectation of you, dear believer. My friends, God, wa- God wants all of you. God wants your entirety. He wants you to consider Him in all your ways. He wants you to make Him the priority of your life. (laughs) Galatians 2 verse 20. I'll read it very quickly. Galatians 2 20. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul speaking. I have been crucified. When Christ died, I died in Him. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He says in Colossians as well. It is Christ who lives in me. It's his life that flows through my veins. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is beautiful. That is the language of the believer. I have been redeemed. I have been given new life. I was bought with a price, and so I give that life back. I am no longer my own. I have an owner. And the beautiful thing is this. The person who manages our lives can be trusted. He's a good father. That's where we find comfort. That God is good, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. He's the father of light, so he can be trusted. Can you just say that with some assurance? That God can be trusted to manage my life. God can be trusted to manage my life. I cannot be stranded when God manages my life. I cannot be disadvantaged when God manages my life. Hallelujah. But you see, the idea of being sold out is this. When you go to a movie or a concert, for example, you're about to buy that ticket. What's your favorite celebrity or your... Favorite musician. What? Kenny. O. Kenny. Kenny O. Mm-hmm. Is that me? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Pick it up. Pick it up. Why won't you just pick it up? Okay. Uh, pay attention, guys. Tickets coming out November. <laughs> Anyways, imagine you want maybe that's Taylor that is very fast. You want to go for her concert, um, or <laughs> sorry. if you don't, you know, you, you just want to buy those tickets. Um, and then you just see sold out ah wow sold out in one day what does sold out mean to you it simply means it is no longer available it belongs to someone else. Are you with me? when you say you are sold out for the Lord it means i am on I'm unavailable yeah. they cannot see me Hallelujah. you know Hezekiah chapter three verse. 12, you find it there. I am <laughs> I am not available because what I belong to someone else. That is what sold out means. And when you say the word sold, uh, the, the soul is a seat of your intellect, your emotions, your will, your ambitions, your desires, your passions. So he's saying everything that makes you you is unavailable to anyone else. Except the Lord, primarily. Of course, because of that, it trickles down into your relationships, your partnerships, your friendships. But primarily, when you are sold out, it means God first, nothing else. God first, everything else comes after that. Does that make sense? So my my charge to you in this first part is, God wants all of you. God wants all of you. Whatever part of your journey of faith that you are on right now. Maybe you just started this thing called called the Christian life. You just came in, you want to know more. God wants all of you. Maybe you've grown to some extent. You're now stepping into some leadership roles and, and positions in the work of ministry. God still wants all of you. God wants to be able to manage your life without hesitance from you without any hesitation he wants you to be able to say yes lord yes to your will yes to your way wherever you send i will go praise the name of jesus sometimes when i think of the old testament saints i sometimes i'm like man do we have it the other way around Do we have people in our day, believers who were ransomed by the blood of Jesus, who have not just seen a forties, but have experienced the reality? Do we have people like Abraham, where the Lord can say, leave your father's house, go to a place, I won't tell you where it is, but just keep going, you'll find out as you go. Or do we have control freaks who want to know everything about their life at every point in time? You know, when, they, when you go for interviews, <laughs> it's very interesting, when you go for some interviews, sometimes they'll ask you, where do you see yourself in five years' time? And some of you, okay, I already rehearsed this question. I know what to say. Um, so you know, in five years' time, I see myself being a CEO or a CEO. I see myself doing this. I see myself doing that. You know, by that time, would I've been able to make a revenue of so 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 so? I see myself. And you, you sound smart. You sound good. You're impressive. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. <laughs> like God wants to be able to disorganize your five-year plan god wants to be able to relax calm down i know that's what you want right now but that's not what i want for you god wants to be able to interfere in your life god wants to be able to tell you leave your father's house go to a place i've not i've not shown you yet but just go are you following what i'm saying God does not want control freaks of believers. He wants us to be yielded. He wants us to live like our life is truly not our own. It will, it will show in your speech. What do you want to do with your masters? When you speak, there's a way you can speak that it shows, I ah, know you, you planned it out yourself. And it's not a bad thing to plan your life. But when, you hear, when we, we hear you speak, can we at least tell that somehow maybe in the slightest bit you actually considered God in your plan? That you know what? This is what I wanted to do, and, and the Lord has given me a green pass. Or the Lord will have me do. Or I have prayed about this, and this is the outcome. Like, in all your ways, do you acknowledge Him truly? Praise the name of Jesus. I'll talk more about that. The second part of this teaching is this. Not only does God want all of you, God called you. God called you. God, or let me put it this way God has called you. God has called you. And so what should you do? Pick it up. Pick it up. Why won't you? Okay. Uh, it's going to be hard not to sing that track. <laughs> Out now on all platforms. Um, okay. When, <laughs> when God calls a person. When I think about the call of God, I'm going to show you what the calling of God can look like or what it should look like or what it does look like. But I've seen a track record. When God chooses a person for a work he wants to do, it's almost as if, and for lack of a better term, it's almost as if he's an irresponsible project manager. When he wants to pick a savior in a city terrorized by Philistines, he chooses a shepherd boy, the youngest of all the brothers. He uses that person for his glory. He uses the second born of twins for his glory. In the line of of the progeny of Jesus Christ, the genealogy of Jesus, you will see quite a number of barren women. Like if, if the work is to be fruitful, and reproduce. Why on earth would you choose barren women to procreate? Why on earth? Why would God choose prostitutes, choose people who were liars, adulterers, murderers, like David was? Why would he use people like that for his glory? It almost seems irresponsible. But the reason why God does that is so that no one will have the right to boast and say, it is because I am this, I am that, I have this, I have that, and that's why God chose me. God wants you to be in a position of humility and say, I couldn't do this. I could not measure up. I don't know why God chose me, but somehow he did. God chose a coward to preach to Nineveh. Do you realize that? He chose many other cowards who fled the scene, who denied him before a, a maidservant. <laughs> he hung out with tax collectors, prostitutes. When God, and, and to top it up, he, he chose the Israelites. That one, I don't even understand why. Too. <laughs> no. But he chose the Israelites. Praise the name of Jesus. I hope you can still hear me so far. Is everything good? All right, guys. We're experiencing some difficulty. Just stay for a while. You can refresh the page at the top. Refresh the page. Thank you, Jesus. I hope it's good and I hope we're back. If you can hear me and still see me, let me know, please. Let me know if you can. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All good. Give me a thumbs up if you can see and hear me. Anything? Someone try logging into YouTube then. Check YouTube. I'm seeing the thumbs up. So I can go ahead. Great. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. So when I think about God's choices, I see that he chose the Israelites, one of the most stubborn people he could have ever worked with. But it was proof that it's not of him who wills, it's not of him who runs, it's not of him who is skilled or overqualified. It's of the Lord who does what? Who shows mercy. That is the message here. When it comes to doing the work that God has called you to do in this generation, like I said, there's no escaping it. There's work to be done. And the good thing is you'll be a part of that work, amen? And you'll do it well in Jesus' name. In fact, you will be an example of many in the work you do for the Lord. Say aloud, loud amen if you believe that. Amen. But you see, clearly God does not always call the qualified. Hardly ever. What does he do? He qualifies the called. We say that a lot, but it's true. It's true. I am a testimony of it. Many of you are a testimony. When you look at where you're coming from and you look at your past and you see where you are now, you don't deserve to have the privileges you have now in the faith. And you do. It's because it's not of you who runs. It's not of you who is so well skilled and intellectual. It is because God showed you mercy. Hallelujah. So, this is how God calls. There are two major ways that I've seen God call. Number one, supernaturally. Are you with me? Supernaturally. Or in other ways, I would use the term by ordination. By ordination. Romans 12, verse 6. I'll explain what that is. Romans chapter 12 from verse 6. Open your Bibles to that. Romans chapter 12 from verse 6. It's going to make sense to you. Right? Are you there? And I hope the stream still is, is as fluid as it should be. Something is wrong with the internet, right? A okay. Isn't the bitrate the internet? Okay. Yeah. Sorry? Mixer is good, but just you too. Okay. So I'm just going to keep going. Um, I'm just going to keep going, and we'll upload the recording after. All right. Praise the Lord. Please just try and follow as much as you can. So what I was saying is that God call, God has called you, and from experience and from scriptures, he does that in two ways. Number one, By ordination, supernaturally so, by ordination. Romans chapter 12 from verse 6. I'm going to read it now. It says, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, that means service. Let us use it in our ministry." In teaching, teach. In exhorting, you know, exhort. He who gives, give liberally, all of that. Clearly, he starts by saying, having then gives differing. According to the grace that is what? Giving. God bestows graces upon people for certain works he wants them to do. Supernaturally so. A man like Paul, God set him apart. Sent a man called Ananias after his encounter on the road to Damascus. He, he met him there and told him, the Lord told him that, look, this guy, I will set him apart from the work that he will do. He will suffer for my name's sake. So they're, they're, God can call you supernaturally to do work. He can, and he does that. Are you with me? For some of you, it's, God can just give you a grace to, to excel in generosity. It's here. It's in verse 8. Right? Yeah, it's in verse 8. In generosity. To excel in mercy. God can just supernaturally so put a grace on your life. And how would you know? Your passions will start to go in that direction. People will start to notice that when you do this, you do it well. When you speak like this, you, you just somehow know how to teach. When you, you just somehow love love giving, you give radically. It's evidence of grace. Praise the name of Jesus. And many people use that as a cop out and say, "Ah, well, God has not called me to stand before a pulpit and preach I can do whatever I want. I can do." And and that is not true. The image we see is in First Corinthians twelve, where he says they are parts of the body. Same body, different members. There are some parts that are outward, like what? Your hands, your face, your eyes, your nose, your ears, right? Your legs. But he says, Can you then say that the things that are seen outwardly are more important than the things that are unseen? The uncomely parts? What's your answer? No. Is the hand somehow more important than the lungs, or the heart, or the kidney, or the brain? <laughs> Let's not get it twisted. So the the idea he was saying is, there are some people naturally, they will stand in the spotlight to do the work. Does not make them in any way more important than those behind the scenes. Are you with me? God does not look on outward appearance alone. He looks at where the hearts. So it's not a couple of, ah, God has not called me to teach in front of a pulpit. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a prophet. That's not what God has called me to. So I can just get away with things. I can just sit back, be a backbencher, a spectator. Not, not, at least not in this ministry. (laughs) You will do work and you will love it. Amen. Amen. You will love it with all your heart. You will know experientially that the burden is light and the yoke is easy. Not just will the yoke be easy, it will be enjoyable. Amen. Prophesying over your life, I said the yoke will be enjoyable in the name of Jesus. It will not just be a burden, but a delight in Jesus' name. The second way God calls is I said number one is what by ordination, number two is by commission. And when I say by commission, I mean the great commission by responsibility. God can call you because you are responsible. I will explain. I'll explain. 2 Timothy chapter 2, from verse 2. It's a scripture you probably know all too well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, from verse 2. Beautiful, beautiful text. I'll read from verse 1. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 2. Are you there? Yes, I hope you are. It says, You therefore, my son, talking to Timothy, Paul speaking to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love that. Like that is a teaching on its own, that you can actually be strong in the grace made available in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on and says, verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me amongst many witnesses, the things I have taught you, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is ministry. That as I prepared you in the, witness, in, in the presence of many, prepared you for ministry, which you are now doing. Commit that same thing to other people. Prepare them for the work of ministry so that they will be able to do what? Teach others also to prepare those ones for ministry. And when those ones rise up to be able to be ministers, then they can raise other effects. Do you understand the ripple effect? Yeah. So by responsibility, the requirement here was what? That they were faithful men. That was it. What does faithfulness look like? You are always present. You are consistent. You are available. You are serving, whether you receive thanks or not. You are you, because you, you live for an audience of one. Because you are sold out—not to the pastor, not to the ministry, but to God. You are always going to show up. That is faithfulness, and God honors faithfulness. He says, "If you see someone, and it's not—it's <laughs> not—I perceive, Lord, let my faithful." Faithful Lomita, let it work now. Let me choose someone. Ah, this person looks like they'll be faithful. Ah, you're the one. It is not like it is discernible. Now, right now, as I am, and it's my job as a minister, as a pastor to do that, I can name five very faithful people now that can that if with the right time, the right um, energy, with the down, right download, will be able to do what I'm doing on a larger scale. I can. It's not by, Lord, show me a vision. I, I can see it. It is discernible. And so by a reason of responsibility, the fact that God had already instructed us, 2 Corinthians 5, um, 18 downwards, tells us that God is reconciling the world you know, through us. He has committed unto us what? The word of reconciliation. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ we have been be reconciled. So the point is this. By reason of being an ambassador of Christ, that's a calling on your life already. To do what? To reconcile the loss to the fold of Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. So supernaturally, the Lord can give you an instruction, put deposit passions within you. And for me, that was how it was. It was an uncontrollable passion um, for teaching, and then God confirmed it with words of prophecy, um, words of knowledge, and dreams of the night. God confirmed it that way. But And that's just the supernatural. You've heard cases of people having 18-hour visions and things like that. Yeah, it can be as dramatic as that. But primarily because God has made you his ambassador, there's a calling in that already. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So what I'm saying to you is embrace the calling. Don't run away from it. The harder you fight, the harder you fall. (laughs) The harder you fight this thing called ministry. If you are wrestling against who you are, you are brought to be a minister of the Lord and to his people. When you wrestle against your identity, you will have a, a life crisis. Not just midlife, entire life crisis. Don't do that. Embrace the call of God on your life embrace that god has actually set you apart to do some work receive it receive it receive it we did a teaching called uh, and one of my faves actually son servant and soldier look it is clear the the conclusion of that teaching is based on your identity you know we said that the when you come into the faith the kingdom is responsible for you all right But as you grow in the faith, you become responsible for the kingdom's sake. You bear responsibilities. That is what God wants to do with you, that you embrace his calling on your life. You know, the Bible says in Romans 11, and of course, the context there was talking about uh, the Israelites that he had called, where it says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You know, it was talking about the Israelites who were taken away for the Gentiles to have a part but he was going to restore them because he made promises to them. But, you know, if we bring it to this, this context, the gifts and callings of God are also without repentance. When God calls you, it's not without, he's not taking it back. He has called you. <laughs> and by his mercy, he will preserve you in that calling. Amen. Amen. Like many of you, you've been like Jonah. God has asked you to do some things. You know, you ran to your Tarshish. And people see the story that God is violent. Why did He send fish? Why did he? I'm like you missed the picture. You missed the picture. It was Jonah that told them, told me <laughs> into the water. I'm the one that caused it. Do you understand? And then God mercifully did not abandon him and say, you know, we have this picture that oh, if you miss out on God's plan for your life, He just cut you off, blocked, cancelled, <laughs> burning bridges, moving on. And then Michael, who's the next person on the list? Adeswabi, let's go. Let's choose out. God was so merciful that he was patient. said, don't worry. You're doing strong head now. Don't worry. He was patient with this guy till even unwillingly, he approached Nineveh smelling of fish bowels and just, hello everybody. If you should if if read the preaching he did. It was one of the shortest things I've ever heard in my life. If you don't repent... God Lord will destroy you and die. Peace. <laughs> and with that kind of message, somehow, supernaturally so, the hearts of the people were grieved, so that even the animals were made to fast and repent. That was what you call revival. <laughs> I'm not even joking. But you see the mercy, the mercy of God, how merciful it was to, to preserve and Be patient with a man like Jonah. Maybe you've been like Jonah. Maybe you've run away. I want you to settle into your place. This is your place. This is your identity. God wants to make of you a minister and an effective one. God wants you to truly be sold out where He can dictate the outcome of your life. Praise the name of Jesus. It's high time you came to terms with it. No spectating. When teachings like this come, your mindset should not shift, oh, it's those people. or oh, it's those ones in the leadership. or oh, it's those ones in the executive team. or oh, it's those people up there start to settle it, the, the idea that it's me. Or it can be me. I can't do this thing that is being said. I can't do more for the gospel. Praise the name of Jesus. But there are some attributes of the callings of God that I want to remind you of. Number one, the callings of God, they are a privilege. They're not a right, they're not something to boast of. They're not something to say, ah, look at me, do you know my title? I'm a pastor, deacon, Bishop, Archbishop, General overseer. It, it's a privilege, a humbling one of that, to be called by God to do his work. That God will commit the biggest, best plan he ever designed into the hands of frail men, it's a privilege. It's not a right, it's a privilege. And we are humbled by he entrusted the best gift to us. The gospel. That is huge. That is huge. Number two, the callings of God are eternally valuable. Eternally valuable. And what I mean is this: this is what actually matters. There are hardly any there, there are hardly things in this life that you will get rewards for. You'll, think about it though. Let me <coughs> Let me help you. <laughs> I thank God for companies that reward their employees. They hit a target, they reward you. You do exceptionally well, they promote you. I thank God for that. But you are not going to get those rewards in heaven. No. I hope you know. They stay here, they die here, they perish here. You're nine to five. And think about how much time you spend in your 9 to 5 how much time you spend your academics the only thing if anything that God will reward you for those things is that you did it as unto him and as not unto men that's it <laughs> so what is he going to reward you for the things that have eternal value the things that pertain to his kingdom, the things that pertain to his gospel, the things that were done out of his love for humanity, those are the things that will count. So why not invest in the things that actually matter at the end of the day? You will switch jobs in this life. You will have different employers. You will start businesses. And they will, they will, those businesses, those jobs, those companies, they will not live here. I hope you know. Are, when the Lord returns, they are not going anywhere. They will all, they will all be wiped out. Burnt and a new earth, a new heaven will come. Think about that too. So it matters. I'm 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 trying to help you be a, a wise master builder. That you 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 the way the Lord uses the language, he says, Don't bury treasure on the earth where moth and rust can attack it. He says, put your treasures in heaven. Have I lost you? No, sir. It's eternally valuable, the callings of God. They are rewards. Make no mistake. and, And I'm going to put a balance to this. They are rewards for everything you will do for the Lord. They are rewards. And so that's why it matters. It matters. It counts. Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name. In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. see, bookmark this scripture, bookmark it now, Hebrews six ten. God is not what unjust to forget your work. See this is this scripture. <laughs> hey, I held on to the, held onto this scripture for my dear life for many years, where it seemed like I was doing the same thing over and over, preaching this thing, maybe barely seeing any results barely getting any thanks, barely getting any recognition, sometimes even being shut out of certain groups and certain spaces. And then I just remember that God is not unjust. He will not forget the work that I have done for His gospel. He will not forget that I have ministered to His saints. and I still do minister now. And that's the same story. He will not forget, so He will reward you. Number three, the callings of God are unique to you. I wish I could spend time here, but I have to hurry up. Number three, the callings of God are unique to you. And I'm going to introduce something that I've used when I, I talked about dealing with um, toxic comparison. There are four Ps that I introduced that are unique to your process. All right. And some of you remember this, but I'm going to reiterate it. Here. It applies even in ministry, even in the calling of God on your, for your life. Number one, the first P is what? Your path your path will always be different from the next guy. We're at same body, but what? Different members. Your path will be different. It will be different. The gifts God has bestowed upon you will be different. Even if he has called brother A to be a prophet and brother B to be a prophet, the paths will be different. Paul was an apostle, wasn't he? Yeah. Peter was also an apostle, but were their paths different? Yes. yes. Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews, clearly. Number two, your priorities. What you will focus on per time. What you will focus on per time. So yes, this other brother, you know, he has been given this responsibility that puts them in the limelight. That's great, happy for them. And they told you to focus on writing emails (coughs) and sending out to the ministry. Whereas this person is leading prayers almost every Sunday. They're given priorities to handle per time it doesn't make you any less than the other person. Your, your, your calling will be unique every time. And that brings me to the third one, your pace. The time it gets for the gifts that you have received to mature, to be visible, to be evident. It will, it will be different. It will be different. And this is why a lot of people start to compete in the body of Christ, subconsciously and consciously that someone is doing something, they have this amount of followers, and you are just in your, teaching your 10 to 20 people you know, on a Friday evening or in a fellowship, or your pace will be different. And what if God wants you to, to just be faithful to those 30 people? What if that's what he wants for you? And he wants the other person to handle 200,000, not because they are more special, but he's just giving us differences in grace. Will you be mad at God for that? Your pace is different. Your pace is different. Like, we're not running a rat race. We're not running a rat race. If someone in your peer group is doing so well, oh, they just got a new job, glory to God, one of the biggest companies in the world, wow, celebrate them. Maybe you've also been looking at getting to that place, great, but celebrate them, be happy for them. Your time will come if the Lord wills. Are you with me? The pace will always be different. Just because someone achieves something in three months doesn't mean that you will do the same. It, it's different. And doesn't mean you are, I mean, what is the reward in saying the youngest ever to do this, this, this? A lot of people are so driven by that. Oh, the youngest person, mm, you shall do the job. <laughs> That's what counts at the end of the day. And number four, the problems you face, they'll be unique to you as well. <clears throat> There will be unique obstacles based on your background, your family, your, your genetics, your opportunities, your, your econ- the economy around you that will differentiate you from someone else in another place. Do you understand? Even if you're in the same family or you're a twin, different problems you will face. And so what I'm saying is this. The callings of God are unique to you. It's time you appreciated the call. Appreciate the uniqueness of the call and and stay there. If God has called you all your life, that all you will do is excel in generosity for the things of God. That's a good place. And many people are so short-sighted, they don't realize what that means. I I remember telling someone that, oh, I remember this. This was two years ago. I told a young lady, I said, do you realize you have the gift of generosity? She said, what is that? I opened Romans romance to explained it to her. She said, it's true. Ah, but does that mean I will not now be a prophet and I will not now be a teacher do the gang general ones. I said you're missing the big picture. The gift of generosity means you are a financier, a financier of the gospel. You will fund the gospel. You will meet needs. Do you know what that means? If God makes grace abound to you to be able to support the gospel, do you know what that means? It means he will establish you so much so that you have more than enough to support people. Do you? That's huge. There are people I know right now that, see, if there's any reason why, apart from the fact that they work hard, if there's any reason why they are as rich as they are, I mean believers as as rich as they are, is because God has given them that grace of generosity. And as much as they meet the demands of that grace, more will be given to them. As long as they supply, they will also receive supply. It's unique. It's unique praise the name of Jesus I want to help you settle into your call We're rounding up option but I want you to help I want to help you settle into the idea that God has called you and it is unique to you it is eternally valuable it is and it's a privilege that you have but God wants all of you so you can't be expecting that things will always be comfortable when you do the will of God you can't expect that you can't expect that see comfort many times is a direct enemy of progress It's a direct enemy of God's call on your life. Because sometimes the call of God on your life will demand your faith, will demand your trust in the unknown. But if you only like what is known and what is comfortable and what you have a grasp on, you will miss God's direction in your life. And that will not be you in Jesus' name. The third thing I want to say is this. Number one, God wants all of you. Number two, God has called you. And number three, God backs you up. That is so important. God backs you up. When God sends you for a work, he backs you. He does. Every time. In Mark 6, verse 7, I won't be able to read everything, but this is what he says, verse 7 and 8. He wanted to give them a a picture of what will happen after his ascension. And this is what he says. He called the twelve to himself and began to send them out. How? Two by two. And gave them power over unclean spirits. Verse 8. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey. Did you see that? Don't take anything for the journey except your staff to help you walk and, tr- and trek. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, like no money, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Like just go with one cloth, one piece of clothing. And wherever you go, if they receive you, enter. Preach the gospel there. If they don't receive you, dust your feet and walk away. Are you with me? And the Bible says they did that. They went out and preached that people should repent. All of them came back and they were okay. They lacked nothing. People received them. People fed them. People gave them clothes to wear. It's a picture of the call of God on our lives. That when he says go, everything you need for the journey, he will give you. That's the work. Everything that you need for the journey, he will give it to you. That is the picture that we see of the gospel. Praise the name of Jesus. Are you with me? Hallelujah. God backs you up. That's the comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 4 to 6. And we have such, tr- such trust through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Glory to God. Beautiful stuff. He says, our sufficiency is from God. All that you need to be an able minister of the new covenant is you have it already by the Spirit. Do you see that? It sounds good on paper, but I want you to take it a bit further and apply it in your life. That God is my sufficiency. I will never lack because God is my sufficiency. I will never lack energy to do the work. I will never lack resources to do the work. God is my sufficiency. Hallelujah. You see, God doesn't just give the commission, He gives the provision. He doesn't just give the job. He gives the tools with which you should do the job. That's God. Oram, Manisha, what? Fayati. The one who sends also gives you and empowers you with all that you need to do the work. That is his strategy all the time. He doesn't just give demands. He makes demand. Mm. Hallelujah. That was good, yeah? I hope so. He makes the man who will fulfill his demands. He, he makes you into what God wants you to be. Like, this is a prayer I always pray that, Lord, make me into the person suitable for the call you've called me to be. Like, make me to be the person that the assignment needs me to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, God can so empower you, furnish you, so that the work you need to do, you are ready for it. He supports you. Look at Matthew six verse thirty three. This is very popular scripture, but I want to expound on this. Matthew six thirty three. You know it right? Seek the kingdom of God. I'm using NLT. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. King James will say, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need." But people misunderstand the scripture. Seeking first the kingdom of God and everything you want. Is it car you want? Is it house you want? Miracle baby you want? Everything. Just serve the Lord and he will give you all those things. Subconsciously, a lot of people start to seek the kingdom first with the wrong motivation. People now end up serving or, or seeking first the kingdom so that these things will be added onto them. But the person with the right motivation seeks first the kingdom, knowing that God takes care of all their needs. There's a difference. The motivation is always God and the work He's called us to do. But there's a confidence and assurance that we are taken care of. The whole, see, the whole chapter was our Lord Jesus Christ telling you calm down, relax, don't be anxious. That was the scripture. That was what it was. If you summarize Matthew 6, Baby, calm down. That's, that's what it was about. Glory to God. Seriously. There's some reminder there, you know? John chapter 6, from verse 25. <coughs> Let me show you something. John chapter 6, from verse 25. So Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And he had done a teaching saying that he's the bread of life. <laughs> But he had, he, had, he had fed the 5,000. This is what was happening. Um, they found him on the other side of the lake because he had run away because they wanted to make him king. And he said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Verse 27, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Look at that. We are not a materialistic people. Is that true about you? We're not. we're not. We're not moved by jobs and job security and what we eat today or what we eat tomorrow or how we can move the hand of God by our service. So God meets our needs. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus or a supernatural ATM machine. He's not. God wants relationship. He says, spend your energy on the things that actually matter. Just focus on me. Focus on me. Focus on what I've called you to do. Praise the name of Jesus. If I look at the verses before Matthew 6.33, I'll just read it very quickly. I I want this to sink in. That's why I'm taking my time. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Many of you spend so much time focusing on the wrong things. I know you want to get your life in check. I know there's pressure from family. I know there's pressure from friends telling you what are you doing with your life? They're asking you questions. Okay, have you applied for your master's? Have you applied for that job? Where is your boyfriend? Where is your girlfriend? Ah, I just attended your cousin's wedding. How far? <laughs> pressure left and right, buzz, boost, boost, buzz. It's getting worse, isn't it? But here is the thing, God wants you to focus on him. He, he's made a promise to you, and while it is pragmatic for you to get a job, you should get a job. If you want to further your academics, why not go ahead if you want to? But the, the foc- if you've not figured out, or you're not actively figuring out what it is that God will have you do, what the assignment is that he's called you to do, you are chasing minus you are majoring on the minors. that's what you're doing the things that have no eternal value you are paying more attention to those things what about you spend some time praying what about you spend some time fasting like paul when he was in acts 13 with these people in that room and they were like i want more i want to know what the next assignment is they took time fasting and ministering to the lord and the lord spoke why not do that why not spend more time on the thing that actually has eternal value why not serve more in your local assembly why not contribute more? Why not come out of the shadows as a ghost and into the spotlight? Why not participate? Why not be found doing the work of God with all your heart? Left to me, see, <laughs> if not for God's instructions, left to me everything else that is not the work of ministry, I'm not doing it. I will not want to do it. But there's a reason why God has asked me to do that. So my point is this. It's important that you prioritize the things of God over everything else. Verse 31. Okay, I'm still there, right? I'm still in verse 26. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? The answer is What? Absolutely not. Verse 31. Now, pay attention here. So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Where would I work? Who would I be with as a partner? These things dominate. Listen. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. If you, where do I even start from? If you knew that God knew your needs before you even told Him, and He's a good Father to you, then the preoccupation of your mind will not be like those who don't have a Father. Mm. Does that make sense? So if you look like someone who doesn't know that they have, who doesn't have a heavenly Father, then something is missing. Something is wrong. This is the principle our Lord is trying to teach here. And then He now says, "Seek first the kingdom of God." Look at verse 34. I love verse 34. This is how I read it anytime. So, dude, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, yo, will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Dude, take no worry for your life. Dude, chillax. I really believe that's how he taught it. I really believe so. You can argue later, we'll, t- we'll talk about it. But the point is this today has its own problems. Stop thinking about tomorrow, five years from now, ten years from now. You think you're being pragmatic, but you are easily stepping into a phase where you're a control freak without knowing. Is it bad to plan ahead? Absolutely not. You should be prudent. But when you are so fixated on getting everything in check, everything needs to be exactly as you planned, then you have become the planner of your life. You become the manager of your life. And maybe it cannot be said truly that you are fully sold out to the Lord. So stop worrying about the final details of your life. Just focus on what is immediately next. Right? Focus on what is immediately next. I'm sure Paul had long-term plans for the Jews. And just like that, God just the squaswa. Ella is a Gentile, sir. That's your place. You know? Must have had plans. These are my people. I long for my people, my kinsmen, to know the truth. I wish I could be accursed for their sake. And the Lord said, see, Oga, this is not this is not the direction. Do you understand? God wants us to live light and live free. To live light and live free. You cannot add anything to your life by over over worrying, analyzing Many of us like to do that. You overanalyze. You allow people to put you under pressure. Of what should be, let God be true and all men liars. Let it be that God's say matters more than anyone else, anyone else's. I beg your pardon. Let it be, let it be that God matters most. His opinion, and the work He's called you to do. Everything else will settle. See, when you start to think of the how, how would this be? How shall these things be? Like we've seen it in scriptures when the angels announce these things. And, and, and how shall these things be? And it's, it's, don't bother about the science behind it. It will shall happen. Do you believe it? God will take care of it. Simple. Move on with your life. Stop worrying. Stop overanalyzing. Start to trust God more. That's my message to you. Trust God more. He's more able than you think. And I'll just sound a final note of encouragement to you. I want to encourage you to serve in God's vineyard to serve in the body to grow in your faith to explore the passions as they come and soon enough it will crystallize for those of you especially who you're not sure you've heard me preach and you're like I don't even know what God wants me to do I have no clue I don't know where my desires are at give it time just do something when David was serving he was doing something he had done something are you with me? Even though Paul was chosen for the Lord's sake, before he was called, he was doing something for what he thought was true. Just do what you are doing. Like When Stephen was, a better example is when Stephen and the other deacons were called, Stephen was said to have been doing signs and wonders as a food server. Are you listening? He was the work of the deacons in that time, and I'm not saying that's always going to be the work of the deacons, but in that time, they were just seven plates. Seven tables. And it was said of Stephen that he heals many people that were sick. Cast out devils. A man full of the spirit and wisdom. That can be you. And when you are diligent and faithful, the, the grace of the Lord and the glory of the Lord will single you out. That's how it works. So single you out for the work. Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work I've called them to. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Just do. Just ask, where can I serve? Where can I serve? How can I be participate more? How can I grow more? If your participation is just in helping yourself grow, it's something. Before long, God will start to put passions within you, and they'll start to crystallize. Praise the name of Jesus. See, when it comes to the work of ministry, you will have to sacrifice things in your life. You will have to. And, and I mean, this is something I've been preaching for a very long time, and I myself had to put it to practice, even just this year. In moving back to plant this church, it was no easy thing. I won't lie to you. <laughs> it was no easy thing. I've always made, my, made up my mind that whatever the Lord says, I will do. But if, I, if you ask my wife, by the time we're moving back, I got a job. So it's not even, even if my company then was going to fire me or something, I had another opportunity open. Someone on LinkedIn reached out to me. They're offering me a job, six figures annually in that company, in dollars, by the way. And <laughs> with those things popping up at the time when the Lord says, go back to plan this work in Lagos, it's not easy. But with that, just knowing that, see, all our needs will be met. If God said, November 12th, we'll do this. We'll, and, and look at that procession. God has been so merciful. When you say yes, he, he backs you up. We got a venue at a ridic- <clears throat> at a ridiculous cost. Even just yesterday, we were talking about getting new equipment. By the way, if you want to support us, here's your chance. During the announcement, it will be shared with you. But like, we, we, we're just about how do we get this, you know, remaining equipment. We still have to get these guys. And within two days, we got the amount we needed. Just like that, without asking. See, God can be trusted is what I'm trying to say. God can be trusted. It's a privilege to serve God, but he has promised us that his yoke is easy and what? His burden is light. So believe it. The burdens of the Lord are light. You may not have it all figured now, but just do what God has asked you to do and he will take care of everything. Just make that step. He will take care of the details. It's not for you to know the the things that concern the Lord. Just do what he has asked you. The how, he will sort it out. Amen. So I want to tell you to do this, not to worry. I want to encourage you to trust God. You need to decide to do that. Decide not to worry, decide to trust God, decide to live light, to live light, and decide to be found always doing the will of the Lord. Can you turn this to prayer right now? I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.